Hi friends, welcome to the Genesis of Shame podcast. I'm your host, Sam Landa, and I'm here to help you speak biblical truth to the shame you experience in relationships. My hope is that you grow in your understanding of how shame impacts you so you can learn how to connect with God and others. If you've experienced fear, hiding who you are, boundary issues, anxiety, and or depression in your relationships, then this podcast is for you. It's time to speak truth to your shame. Hi guys, welcome back to the Genesis of Shame podcast. Um, I have been having a lot of fun interviews um, these last couple of weeks and I've really been enjoying them. I hope you guys have as well. And again, the, the, the topic that's always at play is this element of shame. The first emotion that we experience after sin entered the world, right? Shame led to fear, then fear led to hiding, and that's essentially what we're finding in today's culture. So as Christians, if you've experienced shame, and that manifests itself in many different ways, anxiety, depression, relationship issues, and so on, uh, these are things that we're finding in the church and uh, today, I have a very special guest. His name is John Harris, and John Harris has a podcast called Conversations That Matter, and he does a lot of work with churches. He talks specifically about social justice issues and how that has, uh, in many ways, perverted the gospel. Um, so we're going to talk about how shame is, has been implemented um, in, in the church, has been practiced by Christians. If you're not doing X, you get shamed. Uh, and then if you do something else, you also receive shame. So it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. So, uh, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Sam. It's yeah. good to. It's a different environment to see you in and be <laughs> yeah. with you, but I really appreciate it. And uh, this is a really good angle to, I think, talk about this from the angle of shame. So yeah, looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, so you guys know a little bit of background. So John and I uh, worked together in kind of, you know, in some distance form um, here at our school. And Te- Technically, um, I guess you would have been a, a supervisor of mine, technically, right? Yeah, probably. Okay. Probably. <laughs> it didn't feel that way, it's, but I think It doesn't, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've known each other for, what, two years or so, I think, yeah. just kind of working together. And once John uh, had his podcast about a year ago. Yeah, about a year and a half, yeah. I think, is when I started, beginning of 2019, and it was just going to be topics that I was interested in, and um, I think it was the second or third episode I uh, talked about social justice and as a movement and what it had done at the seminary that I attended, and uh, from mm-hmm. that point forward, um, my podcast started going viral. People were really interested in that topic. I got a lot of questions about it, and mm-hmm. it, I was pretty surprised about that, and now I think since COVID and now the um, protests that have been going on with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, we've now seen social justice kind of on steroids. And so uh, a lot of Christians are looking for answers, uh, trying to understand what's going on, why, uh, especially why their churches are involved if they are. And then if they have concerns, how do they answer that? So so I've been helping as much as I can uh, Mm -hmm. people navigate that. And that's kind of been my one trick pony for a little while. I never meant for it to be. It's, you know, my interests are a lot broader, but, um, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to, to talk about this because I don't see a lot of um, Christian podcasts and resources going towards this. So um, whatever I can do to help, you know, I'm here. So Yeah, yeah. And, and, we, and I think both of us have the same background in regards to growing up in the church. And I yeah. think you said it, even said your dad was a pastor. Right. He was. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad uh, took a church out in New York. We're originally from California, actually. So, uh, 
Uh, we're a little more, uh, <laughs> it's a culture difference for it sure. It is a culture, yeah. Um, especially in the Northeast. But uh, so I grew up hearing about the gospel, hearing about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of six. It's hard to remember that now, like a lot of mm-hmm. people raised in the church, but I was baptized at that time, struggled with assurance in my teens. Uh, I came to an assurance probably when I was 14 or 15, and mm-hmm. it was upon the realization that it wasn't my decision that saved me. I would, you know, I would pray the prayer like, you know, three times a day. Like, I hope I meant it that time, but I finally realized, no, it was, it was the Lord who saved me. It was his work, not mine. And I think um, sometimes I've wondered if that was really when I was saved, but it, it could be that that was just the time I uh, intellectually understood what the decision I made when I was six and, and what the Lord did in my heart at that point was. So, um, so since then, yeah, I've just been um, doing college career ministry and several different campuses. Um, ministry, I was a minister of music at uh, my dad's church, actually, for a little while, and then went to seminary, went to um, get a history degree at Liberty University, and then here I am uh, trying to figure out what the next step is, and I'm not sure quite this right this second, but, yeah. uh, but the podcast keeps me busy. And uh, so, yeah, I've been around Christians my whole life, and hmm. um, I love the church. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that you said that, too, because um, I just put up a, a stat that said about 64% of people who grew up in the church, now between 18 and 29-year-olds, they're, they're leaving the church. And it's such a sad statistic. It's one of those things that makes me realize why, right? Why is it that they're leaving? Obviously, there's a ton of different layers that we can go into that. But for us growing up in the church, one of the things I was reflecting a lot on was this aspect of shame what it was like to experience shame for not meeting the standard, right? Not meeting uh, the calling or the uh, living out the Christian life well enough, especially in our teens, right? That's where we go through our rebellious stage and so on. And there's shame involved in that. So there's this aspect of experiencing shame. And then if you have a pastor who's speaking truth, we feel ashamed. And as we get into these young adulthood years, we begin to internalize that and say, well, they were shaming me and they leave the church or something bad happens in the church, abuse of power, uh, sexual abuse, child, whatever the case is. So I hate in the counseling world, I'm hearing a lot of these stories more and more. So um, for your experience growing up in the church, how do you view this? I mean, I love that you start off with that. I love the church. Same here. I love the church (laughs) and I hate hearing these stories where this happens you know um what's been your experience just hearing about um well i was blessed to grow up in a church that i think was pretty bible centered for the most part and so um, some of the horror stories that i'll hear from others about uh you know uh, extra biblical rules and not being able to meet them and um including and i probably it's kind of profanity so i can't really say it on the podcast but i remember <laughs> yeah. there was uh, one of the story that just came to my head is someone who um their father was not a christian and so they were called uh the b-word christian in their church from youth group people you know from this was just mm. that you know your father it's almost like he's dead because he's not saved and and so i mean i hear these horror stories every once in a while these extra biblical um rules and and uh kind of oppressive um cultural things and i'm just grateful that i didn't really see a lot of that now of course uh human beings no matter where you are even in the best church are going to always want to make themselves look good and they're gonna we 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 love to invent laws and idols and things that help Mm -hmm. us um, create a a good self-image and so of course you know there were 
little things that I can think about. You know, I would, there are things that I would do, you know, I would get in trouble for mm -hmm. uh, in my teens and early 20s, especially, um, you know, someone would find out that uh, I had, I remember I bought a car once and um, I had uh, driven it uh, probably 10 miles without a license plate because I was bringing it <laughs> home. And it was something small like that, but, you right. know, technically that was illegal, I guess, and maybe I shouldn't have done that, but... I, I was thinking of myself and convenience and that there was someone at the church who I remember had a big issue with this and wanted to make mm. you know, something of it. And so, yeah, there's things like that that I experienced. But, you know, and more so as the pastor's kid, too. You yeah, get more heat sometimes. I had an extra layer of, <laughs> yeah. you know, I walk into a room and everyone would shush. And I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> right. So, yeah, there were things yeah. like that. But um, to me, you know, I don't I never saw the church, uh, the bride of Christ, the, mm -hmm. the true church, as being marked by hypocrisy or shame or any of the negative things that some associate with the church. I, mm -hmm. I look at Scripture, and Scripture is what defines the church for right. me. So do I realize there's a lot of um, hypocrites in the church? Uh, sure. Like in the local churches that we go to, it's there's filled with people that might not even be Christians sometimes. Um, so I, I don't judge the, the church as a whole or uh, the Lord Jesus Christ or the Bible or the gospel or Christianity based off of you know the unfortunate actions of a few people. And yeah. Um, and unfortunately, some some do tend to do that. They look at you know some narrow scope of uh, an experience that they've had with certain people calling themselves Christians, and they say, well, that's just the way the church is. And mm -hmm. uh, I just refuse to believe that. I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. So so for me, I might not be the best person to ask that because I'm very positive towards the church. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I do understand people who are negative, and even people who grew up in the church that I was in. Um, I do know some who will say some of the things you're saying that you know they grew up with hypocrisy and. And sometimes they're talking about things I don't even, I'm, I'm just like, what are they talking about? And I think mm. it's maybe justification for their own sin. Um, other times, yeah, perhaps there, there was some hypocrisy, but we're humans. I expect it. You mm -hmm. know, that's what humans do. And it's not just in the church. It's everywhere. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so anyway, yeah, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is pure. The church is being purified by Christ. And there's going to be a day we see the church without spot or wrinkle. And, mm. and I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to, to eternity. Yeah. So... You know, one of the things that um, I think the modern church today is doing is softening the message, right? Or sugarcoating the message, not addressing sin. And I think those things have led to this um, feeling of shame. Is that I don't want to shame people. I don't want to make people feel ashamed. So there's a difference, I think, between feeling guilty or even feeling a little shame for something that I did that was wrong. Because typically shame, as we describe it in the field, is it's an I am statement. I am this. I am worthless. I am <clears throat> not good enough, and so on. Um, but with guilt, it's I did X, and therefore I feel remorse, and I need to repent of this sin, right? Conviction, essentially. Um, so the watered-down message which we are seeing in a lot of modern especially big churches right so these mega churches and again this is not to bash the church this is exposing something i've seen often i think it's shaped the way that we view yeah. the gospel the way that we view christian life so um what are your thoughts in general just about uh either prosperity gospel preachers or um preachers who don't really uh share the truth uh, of, of god's word yeah, not good. <laughs> they, they should share the truth of God's word. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and I don't want to take up a lot of your time just because I, I could go many different directions. Because there's a lot of different false gospels out there. And 
Um, and syncretism was the problem that Israel had for, you know, thousands of years. And you know, they kept building these high places and going and worshiping false gods. And so, um, so the prosperity gospel is one. I think the social justice movement has become a gospel in and of itself at some places mm-hmm. recently. Um, there's just, there, there's all, I mean, some people talk about this nationalistic American patriot audit gospel, and, and it's possible there's churches that have just gotten off track and made that part of the gospel. But, you know, ultimately the, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world, penetrated uh, humanity, and, and he has made a way for us to be in a right relationship with the Father, which means... Mm-hmm. Um, there is no shame. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power mm. of God to salvation. And so um, so, so I, I kind of have a restricted definition of what the gospel is. It's, mm-hmm. it's what Jesus came to do, and it's good news. That's what yeah. the, the term literally means. So if you start adding things, requirements like works to the gospel, then it's no longer good news because mm-hmm. none of us can attain that. There's only one person that was able to attain a perfect standard, and that was Jesus. So what I've seen today in some churches is... A replacement of um, is what the Pharisees did too. They they took yep. their man-made traditions and they replaced the law of God. And then not only do they replace it, but they elevate it to the point of it, this is the most important thing. This is mm-hmm. part of the gospel message, even. So before uh, you know the old school kind of fundamentalist um, background that some people have, and I got a little taste of this when I was a kid, is you can't go to a movie theater, you can't play cards, rock and roll music <laughs> is bad, women shouldn't yeah. wear pants, you know, there, there's these traditions trying to kind of keep Christian culture inside the church looking like the 1950s or 40s. Mm-hmm. And um, today, what I've noticed is we're, we're just as legalistic, if not more so, but the rules have changed. So mm-hmm. now it's, they're, they're, um, we, we have... Uh, a rule like you have to be loving, or you have to be inclusive, or you have to be tolerant. Um, and, and these are very broad categories, but we can slip in all sorts of really uh, defining things. And I'll give you one example from recently. Um, you, need to be very, you need to be loving, right? Which mm-hmm. means you must wear a mask, or you must support the Black Lives Matter movement. You must post something on your social media, and if you don't, it shows you're not loving, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this mm-hmm. isn't a biblical understanding of what love is. This is a category that's used to now bully people, essentially, mm. into uh, supporting a political agenda of some kind. And so um, I think the legalism is still there. Um, yeah, that's true. It just doesn't look the same. It's not the same style of legalism. You know, it's just we've switched the rules. And mm. false gospels tend to have uh, false laws attached to them. And, um, and so these things can get into even uh, churches that have a lot of solid, really great people, uh, some even good Bible teaching. But it's uh, this is something the church has always dealt with for thousands of years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, ever since Paul confronted Peter uh, for the council at the Council of Jerusalem, uh, an apostle of the Lord who was starting to fall in with the Judaizers. That was a mm-hmm. false gospel, and so um, so yeah. There's there's when when confronting these things. Um, I, I try to recognize that there's a range. There's some people that are falling into false gospels and and creating laws that are outside uh, the law of God, but they don't realize they're doing it. They have good motivations, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then there are those who are the false teachers. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're propagating this. And the harsh words, I think, should be safe for them. <laughs> you know, mm. And for those who are falling into it, warnings, stern warnings. Yeah. Hey, be careful. You know, you're getting off the track. This isn't what, what the Lord has uh, told us in his word. Um, so you gave me a very open-ended question. And no, so no, that's good. And a very good. open-ended answer. No, that's, that's good because I think that leads into that next point because you said that oftentimes the, the mission 
for the church will change. And it, it has changed and it continues to change. And I think that's what we're trying to warn people about is that we got to remember that Jesus is the focus. That's the gospel. Right. Everything else, as you said, it's a new way to elevate yourself and to almost remove some of the shame that you feel from being convicted of what the scriptures teach. And I see this consistently all the yeah. time. And um, so there's this aspect of, you know, you, you alluded to it where you said, if you don't do X, then you're not really loving. Right. It's a way of shaming. And shaming, what it essentially does is control the other person to do something because they feel bad, right? Um, so how do you see that play out in, 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 in today's church? So there's the shaming of if you don't support this cause, then you're not really being loving or you're not being a Christian. Now, we're asked to love. We're also asked to not ask, commanded for both of them, command to love, command to present truth. Right. How do we find the balance? Because that's really, I think, where I find that I tend to lean more truth. Right. I've had to learn what it's like to give grace and love, right? And then there's today, the swing is on the other side where it's all love, no truth. Right. And it can't work <laughs> like that. How, how do we find a balance for that? Because I think a healthy balance can remove a lot of the shame that's experienced. Yeah. I mean, Christ said, speak the truth in love, right? So, mm-hmm. um I think motivation comes into this quite a bit. Um, one of the things you said earlier, and and I want to make sure that I'm tracking with you, um, yeah. but you, you made a separation between shame and guilt, mm-hmm. right? And guilt is something legitimate. I think you were saying that this could be because of conviction of sin mm-hmm. and then shame. What, what, what did you define shame as in your Yeah, so, so guilt is doing something wrong and feeling bad for that. So I raise my voice at my child or I disrespect okay, someone. Okay, so you've broken God's law. Yeah, yeah, you've broken God's law, and you, you know, that that's why you feel guilty, because you did something that was sin. Okay. Shame is a message. Shame is an I am statement. So, for example, people who experience shame typically have some form of abuse in their history. So, if it was a parent, if it was a family friend, the, sh- the shaming part is I am dirty, right? So they'll come to counseling feeling the, or having this message in their mind that I am dirty. I'm unloving because I'm dirty. No one would want to marry me because I messed up. Sure. Okay. Right? So it was being sinned against is, is one way to put it, is that this is yeah. a person who was sinned against, and that's why they have this shame feeling or this identity almost. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking <clears throat> of some biblical passages that, um, were, you know, Second Corinthians, Paul talks about mm. uh, the putting off works that were hidden because of shame. So there's a sense that there's these works that we don't want anyone to see. And, and as Christians, we put those away. Um, he talks about, you know, shaming unbelievers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. By, Peter talks about this uh, with our good behavior so that they will see that what they're saying is not true. And, yeah. um, and so I know there's some positive references to shame, but I, you know, shame, you know, I always thought of it as kind of like a it's something internal. It's something that um, you know you've done something that you shouldn't have done or you think you have. And it, so it's based on your conscience, but your conscience can be re- really the, when it comes to the negative shame, the kind of shame you're talking about when you use the word, it seems to me that would um, come from a, a conscience that has been warped in some way. Yes. So you're, yes, you're, you're damaged uh, or, you, you know, you've damaged yourself or someone's damaged you. So the result of sin somehow that now you have a twisted sense of right and wrong. So you think you're, you know, victims of, uh, for instance, rape or something, think it's their fault. And they, well, mm-hmm. obviously it's not their fault, 
but they've been made to think that mm. for some reason. And so they have a twisted conscience. And so I, I'm sure you're, yeah. as a counselor, you're probably trying to work through that and show them like, look, <laughs> you, mm. this isn't your fault. This wasn't your sin. Um, and so getting back to, the, to, to what you were talking about with uh, the church and truth and love, and, um, and I'm trying to remember the specific question you asked now. Uh, so how do I see this playing out in, in the church today, right? With, yeah, yeah. With, so the shaming of um, if you're not doing X, then you're not right. a Christian. So, so I think this plays on a <clears throat> twisted kind of conscience. Okay. So this is not—they're um, not shaming because, like, look, you uh, broke one of the Ten Commandments, and you are guilty before God. You need to go repent, get that right, and then you're going to be clean as the driven snow. Um, you know, because Christ has atoned for you. That's not the message that mm-hmm. you see going out there, which would be the correct message if there was— uh, guilt in, right. in the you know term you were using. Instead, what they're doing is they they've adopted um, a in a law that is outside of Scripture, and mm. they're saying things like, uh, "Unless you, uh, I'll give you kind of a pop level Christian um, example. You know, in, unless you post." Uh, for Blackout Tuesday. Um, well, actually, I'm trying to remember. Blackout Tuesday, I don't think you're supposed to post. There, there's one day you're supposed <laughs> was, I can't keep them all straight. That was just a square. Yeah, that was a square, right? Uh-huh. So there's there's a day, you know, you're, okay, let's say you don't do the square, right? <laughs> um, my wife was, was seeing this with some of her friends from Bible college. Mm-hmm. Um, people being attacked because they wouldn't, do the black square or they wouldn't mm-hmm. um, post their support for Black Lives Matter or something. And so this is kind of a, a witch hunt that I've never seen, mm-hmm. at least in the church before, uh, where, you know, what you would think of as a political issue becomes a spiritual issue and something that Christians now for not getting involved with are uh, shamed for. Mm-hmm. And so what this produces is uh, wanting to hide. I don't, I'm just not going to go to that church anymore. And I, I get messages like this all the time. People who listen to my podcast, their churches are splitting up. They're, mm. um, we don't hear about it in the news, but it is happening. They're leaving. They're starting other churches. For not churches. being part of the... Um, yeah, from, from being whacked over the head. I mean, I, I have one episode where I talk about a man who was shamed by his pastor for having a last name. His last name happened to be the same last name as another family in the church who were black. He was white. And so the pastor said, well, your family must have owned them at some point, which the, as a historical, as a historian, you know, that's, that's absurd because it doesn't, didn't always mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he looked in his family background, found out, you know, there's no, there were no slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, sla- there was no slavery. Our family never owned him. In fact, he was from England and had come over much later. And mm-hmm. so, um, obviously his family, his line had not, but that's irrelevant. I mean, Mm. we're generations later and this pastor saying, you need to go apologize to this other family. And, um, you know, the person, uh, you can look it up. His uh, name is uh, James High. It's in my podcast, but, Mm. um, yeah, they, they had to leave the church. It just became a toxic place for their family to be. And, Uh, and this kind of scenario is repeating itself all over the place. You know, there, there's no biblical command to repent of some quote-unquote generational sin. But this was imported mm. from another gospel, from another worldview. And that worldview says that your original sin is the, is the level of privilege you have, and that can be you know, seen from your, your skin tone or from uh, your gender or other external factors. And by nature of that, you are guilty. And mm-hmm. so you must apologize. So there's a lot of assumptions that are going behind a requirement like that. Uh, I'll give you another example. J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, did this publicly just recently. But he said that Black Lives Matter is, and I quote, a gospel issue. 
Hmm. Well, once you start making something political like that a gospel issue, what you're saying is that this is part of the good news of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And we're commanded to spread the gospel. So now all Christians are responsible, if it's truly a gospel issue, to spread the message of Black Lives Matter. Well, that's not in the Bible. That's not that's an extra biblical understanding, but it's coming in from another worldview. Mm-hmm. And and so I think what we have right now in many churches is a syncretism of, of sorts. Uh, the same thing that's happening in the world where people are getting canceled. There's a, a bakery in um, Chicago recently. A Christian owned it, and it got completely canceled just because he said all lives matter. It's gone. It mm. was uh, graffitied, and they had to you know windows were broken into and everything. Um, this is what's happening in the world. Now we're seeing a less aggressive, but the same kind of uh, movement happening in the church in some places or in churches. And so, um, so, so that's kind of what I see uh, from, from what I've been looking at from what people have been sending me. And it is concerning. Mm-hmm. And I think the solution is to just come back to the gospel. And yeah. we need to define things biblically from the beginning and say, no, this is the gospel. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the good news of Jesus. And it's the good news that even if you've sinned, um, that there is forgiveness available. You don't have to be in the hamster wheel of shame and guilt for the rest of your life and never being able to attain forgiveness because of the color of your skin or something like that. No, yeah. like you're washed, you're, you're cleansed. Um, mm-hmm. he, he sings songs over you. I mean, uh, he was treated like the person who was racist and was um, all the sins that you're concerned about, even if they are legitimate, Jesus was punished for those things. Mm-hmm. And so the gospel is the solution, and it brings the unity. It brings, um, you know, black and white, but more than that, you know, Jew and Gentile, uh, slave and free man, men and women, it brings them all together. And the unity is in him, is being in yeah. Christ. And so um, that message seems to be lost in all of this, and there's it's division true. and... Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you're seeing that from, from your end as a counselor. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's shame coming from all sorts of different directions, but I, I'm assuming you will soon. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a tough, tough thing to see. The, the, usually when I've seen shame, it's been people who have been sinned against, so they carry on these messages. Um, but it's interesting to me to see how the first thing that we experienced after the fall was shame, and that's the thing that we use to attack other people. You know, abusive relationships rely a lot on shaming the other person to behave in a certain way and that's sometimes with the power differential as well in 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 organizations or or churches where if someone has leadership over you they can shame you to behave a certain way and there's this behaviorist model that's applied you know act like this or else right um and same thing as, as the examples that you were giving as well so um it's just interesting to me to see how people feel shame but how we also use it to control the behavior of other people and it's sad for me to see that in the church so if you're not using it from a power place you're using it from a a victim perspective if we can say that you know shaming the whole church and not just maybe the individual yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, do, it, it does. I, I think though um, even from the victim's perspective so, so we have these terms uh, you know the abused and the abuser, or the the culprit and the victim, or you know, the oppressed and the oppressor. These these kind of power dynamic words that we use, and they're legitimate words. But I think sometimes when we apply them, especially today, it's a, we don't always apply them accurately. So sometimes these hmm. situations are actually reversed. I remember um, when I was at seminary, I kind of noticed this where. Um, 
there were certain demographics which by definition were had to be victims no matter what. They were mm -hmm. always the victim because of ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation. But in reality, sometimes uh, you know, the, the people that are represented by those lobbies are the most powerful political groups in the entire country. There's industries mm. built around. I mean, we'll take the latest example, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I have Amazon Prime, right? I, I log into Amazon Prime, big banner, you know, for like a month, Black Lives Matter. Hmm. And all these movies that you can, I mean, money is being poured into supporting a certain narrative. Um, it seems like no matter w what company, it could have been like, you know, 10 years ago, I had given my email when I was checking out at like some mm. store and I'm getting an email <laughs> from them how much they care about Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't even know who you are, but, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference to me. But it's yeah. but that shows you kind of the, mm. the power direction. I mean, these guys have power, real power um, to influence elections. I mean, that kind of power. But yet they kind of, because Americans, I think, like an underdog, they kind of play the victim. So we're, we're just a bunch of victims here. And so um, you, see, you see the same thing with the LGBT issue. I mean, you, you know, I, there's not like a straight white males month, right? Like, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there should be, but there's an LGBT month. And every you know, corporation worth their salt is going to support that and give money to that and show banners. And so there's a public kind of... Um, uh, almost like a celebration. It's almost like a holiday, you know, mm -hmm. for a month. We're recognizing this particular demographic. If you don't do that, if you fail to celebrate, then you will be shamed in mm -hmm. certain circumstances. And in, in many, in the corporate world at least, that's definitely true. And so, um, so, so I, I just want to be careful when we, you know, I think what you said originally is very true. Abusers tend to use their power against the abused, and that, that is so true. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're expected to follow authority, but right now the authority is coming from places like Hollywood, the media, mm -hmm. um, yeah, education. I mean, these are these are the priests of the, mm -hmm. of the new, you know, secular religion, if you want to call it that. And so the church is very marginalized at this point. And I think for the church, for, for some in the church who want to be legitimized in the eyes of the world, they want to go along with it. Uh -huh. They want That's to be, hey, yeah. we're leaders, just we care about the same things you care about. Well, what's that? You know, that's you know, they're they're saying they're impartial, that they're on the side of the victim. No, they're they're actually just trying to, for lack of a better term, forgive me for this, but they're trying to kiss mm. up to power. Mm. They're trying to say they're trying to signal that we are with you. Don't destroy us. Um, in fact, we're going to help you destroy others who are really problematic. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that this is a power a dynamic play going on. Those who um, disagree with those movements or who just don't want to get involved with those movements are just. Like most Christians, just like, leave me alone. I got enough to worry about. I just want to pay the bills and go to church and worship Jesus. They're the ones that get squashed in this. And they're mm -hmm. the ones that don't have power, cultural power at this moment. Uh, and so so I, I just want to recognize that, that a lot of what, a lot of the messaging is just, it's false on its face. Yeah. Um, I care about true victims. I'm sure you do. I mean, you yeah. deal with this all the time. And uh you know, I, I'm sure you've dealt with it a lot more than I have, but, you know, I've, I've counseled people who have been in abusive situations, and it breaks your heart, and, yeah. and I hate that. And to pervert that kind of situation, to then take that narrative, that story, and then apply it to a political movement for mm. your own self-aggrandizement and support, that's disgusting to me. Yeah. You know, mm. if, you, if you found out that someone was trying to make money off of the victims of sexual abuse, you'd be infuriated mm -hmm. by that. That's kind of, what I think, what we're seeing right now is a whole industry 
that wants to make money off of victimology. Yeah, and um, and, and then they turn they then turn around and you know uh, represent or not represent, but rather say bad things about the church, and that's what people would then begin to remember. Oh, bad things happen, and it's true, you know. So one of the big things yeah. that I've had to learn to come to terms with is especially now through counseling where I've seen a lot of people come in that have been hurt by the church. And what I've wanted to understand is how can we bring healing so that the person that did evil against them is not directly connected to the church, right? Is not that the church did this, but this person who infiltrated the church did this bad thing to you. And so sometimes we'll just take that person and say the church, and I've seen it two different ways. One is, if it's the whole church, then I have a reason for not coming back to church. Going back to that statistic about the 19 to 28 years who are leaving the mm-hmm. church. So this bad thing happened to me, therefore I can't trust God. Therefore I can't trust the church. So I, I, I want to kind of help them see that God's will or desire was that was was for the church to do the opposite of that, right. to minister to the needs that you have, to be a, a loving, compassionate presence in your life, you know? Yeah. Um, so so I see it being um, misconstrued, one's understanding uh, of the church. It's perverted by the unhealthy things that are happening. There's a media image of the church that, that this is what the church is, and so you get an example that seems to confirm that narrative, and exactly. so you're just going to believe it. But yeah. you know, there's a story. If, if who you're dealing with, if they're actually a Christian, a believer, then you know I, I can understand the hurt, but ultimately they're going to stay in the church. Now maybe, I mean the church, big C church. You know, They're mm-hmm. not going to leave it because of that. And, and there's, I like to go back to the story of Joseph. You, know, look at, you want to talk about victims. You know? mm. Look at this man who was sold into slavery and exp- completely unjustly. He didn't do anything wrong, and his brothers do this to him. And look at you know, how the story ends. He's crying. He forgives them. And you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And Joseph said about this particular situation in his life, it's like, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so um, even situations, I mean, I, I'm thinking of even myself right now. I have several um, youth group leaders and Sunday school teachers that ended up um, being terrible to me uh, and, mm. and my family. Like, I, I look, I've, I've have, being the son of a pastor, like, I know kind of what can go on and um, how people can get into churches and want power and try to mm. climb for that and, and use whatever means necessary. And uh, and I was hurt by some guys. I thought, man, I was close to you. You know, you were my, mm. you, you, the guy who inspired me to first play guitar in church, I remember, um, really disappointing the way he treated my family and myself. And um, But I look at that now and I say, you know what, this was something that the Lord used in my life, even though it stunk at the time. I was kind of wondering, God, why? And, and I might not know the full answer, but I do know at least this. The Lord used that to help me. And I, I became more assertive, more willing to take a stand, more willing to um, defend those who are weak and helpless. And, um, and it's because I received some of some mm-hmm. minor abuse myself. Uh, and so, you know, the, I think focusing on what the Lord's trying to do in a situation, at least with a believer... I think that's the way to go, or that that helps me at least kind of make sense of those things because it's not just the church. I, there's abuse in every single, you know, you're going to see it on the job. You're going to see it mm. like as adults and as Christians. Like we just need to realize this is the world that we mm-hmm. live in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and what is God, what, what's he doing? What's his plan, even in a horrible situation? What's he going to, how's he going to make this good? And um, I wouldn't be the person I am now if I hadn't faced those barriers. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I agree, brother. I think uh, our backgrounds within the church and uh, strong parental support or even mentors along the way, if there's anything, you know, my parents divorced when I was about, 18. Um, so after that, I mean, God has always provided mentors through up until my time now, you know, and that's been such a, a healing process because when you miss that growing up, your, your parents staying together, it's like, what else do I have to hold on to? I call this the, um, the uh, Peter, Peter principle, where remember when he's, when Jesus is, uh, doing miracles and doing all these great things and some of the disciples end up leaving and he turns to his actual disciples and said will you leave too and peter says where do we go lord i mean you have the words of eternal life and i had that moment after after my parents divorce where i said i'm going to leave the church uh you know this this isn't for me or this everything's gone wrong and i had that peter moment where where do i go drugs sex (laughs) alcohol i mean where do i go and I think that's essentially what I want for people to understand is that at the end of the day, what, everything that's happened, you're going to have things go wrong in your life. And you have to have that Peter principle moment where Amen. what are you going to turn to? What's what else is there? And, um, and I think that that will help them even face that that shame, you know, that shame. Well, is you, felt. you have a promise from Jesus says in this world, you have trouble. Yeah, that's okay. That's a given. Mm-hmm. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So that's mm-hmm. that's our Lord talking. And so, if you think about His ministry and who His main enemies were, they were the they were the religious establishment at the time. I mean, how often is Paul correcting churches for sin? I mean, churches are filled with people. People sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them aren't even Christians who go to a church. And so, um, so I, I think making that an expectation from the beginning that people will sin is important. And I wonder how many people mm. who are bitter now grew up with that theology or came to that understanding that even people in church sin. Um, sometimes I wonder, what, what were you expecting? Were you expecting utopia? Because, mm. look, the church isn't going to give you a utopia. Um, the social justice movement, they want to bring in a utopia of equality and stuff. They're not going to give it to you either. No. Nothing will give part. you utopia. Uh, utopia comes after this life. And God promises it to us. But the only thing that we have as a stability in this life, as you said, is our relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he has a will that it, it is his church that represents him and spreads his message. And so um, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be committed to the church. Mm-hmm. And if I see problems there, you know, some, sometimes it, there are times to leave a church and find another one. But, you, but always, you know, don't, don't just leave completely. That's right. the point. Right. Um, there, there are, God's going to save a remnant. There's always believers around. There's always places that you can go to get encouragement, um, even if it's just another brother, another family. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, it grieves me when I hear things like that. You know, I don't yeah. like to hear people that, uh, stories like this, but, um, but, I, but I know that it's just the, the, it, it's just the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, and I think we both agree on this. We're not, for those of you guys listening, we're not minimizing anyone's pain or, or what they've gone through. No, what we're no. saying is that um, that Jesus understands. As he went through the cross, and I think it's in Hebrews where he talks about the high priest who understands That's all right. our sufferings, right, and is able to connect with us on that. In Second uh, Corinthians where it talks about how God comforts us and we're then able to comfort others because we've experienced this comfort. 
And, and it's in those difficult times, you know, where we do experience that and we know what it's like, like you said, I know what it's like to be an outcast, to be seen as the outsider because I'm pastor's son or, you know, whatever the case is. And because I experienced that, I'm able to give to others who feel the same way, give them a sense of comfort as they move forward. Amen. Yeah, 100%. But, um... Yeah, man. Well, well, thank you so much for being yeah, on the show pleasure. today, man. I really appreciate it. I'm sure, you know, we could go on more. I, I'm positive of that, as you've probably seen I can in talk yours. a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, uh, thank you guys for, for tuning in. It's John Harris. He has his own podcast, Conversations That Matter. I will attach that link in um, the episode notes. So feel free to tune in. And uh, John, thanks again, yeah, man. Thank you, Sam. God yeah. bless you. Thanks, God bye. Bye. Thank you again for tuning in today, guys. I really appreciate it. Your support means a lot to me, and I really look forward to doing these each and every week. If you would like to continue supporting the podcast, one of the things you can do is go to your Apple podcast and find the Genesis of Shame there and then subscribe to it. That really helps it get some traction on the iTunes podcast and will allow this to be heard by many more people. You can also follow me on Spotify and other major podcast platforms. Thank you again, guys. Have a great day.